the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 441 for Monday, March 18th, 2013. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show. You send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We answer questions, share tips, share cool stuff found. And together, we all try to learn a little bit of something new each and every time we get together here. From not quite yet snowy Durham, New Hampshire, here on this Monday night, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in wintry mix, below freezing, oh boy, there's going to be an accident any minute now. (laughs) Fairfield, Connecticut. (laughs) Uh, If you hear sirens, that's why. Uh, uh, this is John F. Braun. Hi, John F. Braun. How you doing, man? Good, good. And uh, this is a, a bit uh, out of the ordinary here. And that normally during the week, I'm totally shot and in bed by now. But why we, we had to make special accommodations, Dave, because you were you were doing a bit of a traveling. I I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, this is back to it's been a while since we've recorded on Monday nights, but uh, or, or a Monday night, but but uh, but yeah, it's I appreciate it. Yeah, I traveled back yesterday and. Uh, I would have, I, let's see. So I was at South by Southwest going, I, I missed most of the interactive festival this year. I actually got down there on Tuesday and then I raced off and uh, delivered a, a last minute presentation to the Austin capital Mac or cap Mac uh, Mac users group, which was awesome by the way. Uh, a lot of great people there. And then right afterwards, Bob and I, Bob Levitas and I had, uh, you know, the people every, they all stick around and they started asking us questions, but it, it it became this really intense, like stump the geek thing. But it wasn't we weren't at a podium or anything. It was just people hanging out. They have their meetings in a bar, John, which is pretty cool. It's why they get like 50 to 75 people at each meeting, I think. But, well, just having Dr. Bob with you, I mean, that's a that, that's a dangerous combination. Yeah, but it was it, room. it was intense because, yeah, people were coming up to either one of us. They, several times people tried to corner both of us it, like simultaneously. I was like, wait a minute, you know, you've you got to <laughs> share the love here a little bit. But um, it was one of those things that afterwards, you know, when I was like back at my place where I stayed, it was like, man. That was intense. You know, it was just question peppered. I mean, it, it, and it was good to have Bob. It was like when you and I do that, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to do on your own, but it's more fun when you've got somebody that, you know, is going through the same thing, even though Bob and I didn't really get to hang out all that much. <laughs> um, so I did that, but then, um, and I was there for Wednesday, which had some of the interactive, I went to the uh, trade show on Wednesday and I got a couple things I can talk about. Uh, maybe one thing I'll talk about tonight and then a couple more than when we got to do a cool stuff found show at some point, we've got like, you know, too many things on the list. So, um, so I did that and then was there for the music festival Saturday night. I, I do this every time Sunday morning. I had a 6am flight, which meant I needed to leave for the airport at like four 30. So I got two hours of sleep Sunday night and then, and then got on the plane. So, uh, uh or Saturday night and got on the plane Sunday morning. So Sunday night would have been, we could have done it. We could have done a cool stuff found show last night or something last minute, but, uh, you know, this is, I appreciate this. So I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Thanks, man. All right. You want to, you want to, uh, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you start things off for us, John? you got a couple of tips you can share and then we'll dive into, uh, maybe talking about crash reports and we'll see where it goes from there. Sound good. Well, I do have one, uh, 
Well, just one thing I did over the weekend. Oh, yeah. Quick here. Yeah. Because um, you were like, John, you you know, you were talking about your system. Something new happened. Right. People are following me on Twitter, and we'll talk about that at some point, I'm sure. But well, you can follow uh, John on Twitter at, at John F. Braun. That's right. Twitter.com. And Dave. And David, Dave Hamilton. <laughs> That's right. Or the show, <laughs> Matt Keekab. <laughs> or the publication of Mac Observer. Hey, we go. just snuck that in there. Okay. That's nice. So, as you know, I have a, uh, I think it's the mid 20. 10 Mac mini and one horrible mistake I made. So, so the advice here is if you're going to get a drive, not that 5,400 RPM is necessarily bad, but this drive in particular, um, it's a Toshiba MK. Uh, I'll list this specific drive here, but pretty much it has a reputation and I, and I looked up some benchmarks. I didn't actually do the benchmarks, but I looked up some of the ones online and basically the, I mean, Dave and I both curse whenever we have to reboot our systems uh, during the show because it takes a while. It takes a couple of minutes, even if you have an SSD, I think. No, yeah, I don't. No, nah, it would be a lot better if I had an SSD on this machine. But yeah. yes, point taken. So what yeah. I got, so this had a Toshiba drive that was actually a, a SATA one drive because when you looked in system info, it said negotiated rate 1.5 gigabits per second. I'm like, no, no, this machine has a SATA two interface and it does this one, not SATA three, but SATA two, which is three gigabits. So I'm like, that's terrible. So basically over the weekend, I got sick of it. It was just taking too long to boot and, and reboot and stuff. And uh, so I went to Mac Sales. Love these guys. Uh, and and they had a series of drives that I, I have had very good success with, both now in my Mini, but also my portables. And that's the uh, uh, Hitachi Travel Star, which Apple often puts in their own equipment. And so I got the uh, 7K uh, 1000, which, as you could probably guess here, is a one terabyte drive to replace the 320. But it also is a SATA 2 drive, and also it has... Uh, way faster. And I think uh, my message here is if you can at all get the transfer speed, not the bus speed, that's deceptive. The bus speed is not how fast the data is going to come out of the drive. Right. Guaranteed. That's the max. Um, that's the, the limit at the, the fastest that the, that the uh, interface will let it, but rarely does the drive ever hit that. That's right. Right. And so in this case, the, the, the old drive was rated about 30 megabytes a second, which in, in modern hard drive, world is is pretty poor and this drive clocks in at about 130 megabytes per second and which drive was it that you got from them it's just, the uh, travel star 7k 1000 hitachi travel star 7k 1000 okay cool uh, i'll put a link in the show notes that's all yeah but i also yeah. got um and i gotta say i fix it uh although i've been through the uh mini take apart put together thing it's still nice i fix it has a as a good a very good visual guide so uh yeah, I mean the system is like night and day now. Before again, it, it was just, I would click on things like even today I I uh, clicked on Skype. It was maybe four bounces instead of fifteen bounces. <laughs> now I wonder how much of that would be um, it related to the fact that you simply defragged your drive effectively by by move. You know what I mean? Because um, I've noticed that too. Things launch a lot faster on this machine since I defragged. So I would say not Dave because okay. I run drive uh drive pulse on this computer okay. and it and it has recently. Yep. So drive pulse is a product from uh, our pals over at ProSoft and one thing it does is if your drive is is uh fragmented it will say hey by the way you want me to fix this. Right. And it was done in that drive recently. The 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 the, the sad fact is this drive just didn't have the oomph <laughs> fragmentation helped, but, but it's still it, it, looking at the benchmarks at 30 megabytes a second. That was the, that was the bottleneck why everything took forever on this machine booting or just launching apps. So, right. Right. 
So I'm happy. And cool. it was, dude, 114 bucks for a terabyte. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's I mean, awesome. now I got to think what to put on this drive before. I mean, 320 was kind of limiting, but now, I mean, I already store all my music on this. So I think I may do actually a backup of some of my other media on this drive as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, enough yeah. of that. Let's get to the first question, which I guess you, I think you've got a couple think, of tips, right? Well, we got some tips here. So, so we get the first one here is from Matthew. Thank you, Matthew. And you said I ran into this and thought you guys may want to share it. And it's an article from Lifehack. And the key part of this, which I found very interesting, is a tip to use a uh, command in the terminal to help you free up your memory. And the command is purge. So you go to the terminal, uh, which is in your utilities folder, I believe. <laughs> go to the terminal, type purge. And I verified this and it does it. And then I wrote back to Matt and I said, you know what? I wonder if this just speeds up what the Mac will eventually get around to, namely moving memory from inactive to free. Because when I did do this, the inactive did get smaller and the free got bigger. Yep. And then he wrote back to me and he said, you know, I'm not, not really sure about that. And then actually a thought occurred to me, Dave, what if the inactive memory is stored in this cache? There wasn't an explicit statement that that's what's happening, but it looks like that's is what's happening. Yeah. The, the, the man page for this, I think is incorrect in OS 10 because the man page talks about how it's flushing a disc cache. Um, whereas, I mean, clearly this is doing more than just flushing a disk cache. Um, so it, it, it's, it, I think the man page is either completely wrong or, um, or, or incomplete at best. Um, but, uh, but it does. Well, do- what, I'm, what I'm saying though, is it, is it, it sounds like at least some of inactive memory is stored on disk and this command frees it up. Um, but see, I don't, I think that's, I, I think that's, incorrect i don't think it's stored on disk it's i mean it's stored in ram and it frees it up is what's happening um so that's that's what i'm saying the the man page is wrong or at least incomplete because it may be flushing a disk cache as well but if if what it's doing is taking things that are inactive and releasing them then it's just releasing them there's no writing it out to disk at that point so okay yeah but it did, as advertised, it did make more free memory available. So mm-hmm. purge. Yeah. So if you need that extra, <laughs> you know, little chunk of free memory for yeah. whatever reason, yeah. we'll do it for you. It, yeah, it will. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I suppose if your free memory is so low that, you know, if it's below that, say, 100 megabyte mark, then this might be a, a decent command to run. I mean, it's just it, it literally is as simple as John's saying. You just go to the terminal and type the word purge and press enter. And, uh, and very quickly it, it frees that up. So there you go. All right. What's next, my friend? Where is it? Oh boy. All right. You want me to read it for you? Oh, if you got it. Sure. Yeah, I got it right here. So, uh, Macklin writes, remember monolingual. I just found it in my apps folder and quickly discovered that there was a mountain lion update. I downloaded the same, ran the app and recovered four gigabytes of space. It was amazing to watch it as it scoured through apps, utilities, and then the library. Who knew I had uh, help files in Catalan. 
It took a while, like 20 minutes, and seemed to tie up all the CPU cycles. So you can just let it run in the background. You can't just let it run in the background, but four gigs of space. So what monolingual does is it goes through and cleans out, deletes, I should say, uh, all of the language files that aren't related to the languages that you want to have. So if you might have, you know, uh, like, you know, Japanese or whatever, German, who knows, baked into not only your apps, but into the OS itself. And it goes and deletes all those and keeps them from taking up space. So that's what it does. And now I'll let you kind of take it, John, because I know you have some thoughts about this. Well, I have some thoughts. I've been thinking about this a lot. Oh, good. Share. (laughs) So what gets me though, is uh, what concerns me is that as of late, the, the, the capability to, guaranteed that a program is authentic has been creeping into the OS. Mm, okay. Uh, the firewall will do this sometimes. And, and also now with a uh, gatekeeper, I, I believe is the feature uh, gatekeeper will right. let you set the level of assurance that an app has come from the person that it says it comes from. And it can range from being very strict to very open. What concerns me here, and I'm just thinking out loud here. So on the one hand, this does go into an application and take things out. Now, if you take things out of an application, uh, typically uh, the mechanisms used to figure out if an application is authentic, if they see something different within it, <laughs> we'll say, hey, whoa, what, what, what happened here? Unless, and here is my thought though, so, so a lot of this technology is, is known by the term code signing. Now, the thing is, what you're getting rid of isn't necessarily code, okay? Right. It's what, I, it's what I'd call resources. So, so the way a lot of software is organized, and actually Apple kind of pioneered this in the early days and still does it, is that you have different parts of a file that do different important things. One is, um, and I think they actually did call it, so the resource fork and the application fork, I think, in the, in the old days. And I think that's still preserved to some sense. So you, you have part of a, a file that is code that actually does useful things. And then you have another part of it that's additional information that are called resources that, that are actually input to the program. They don't really do anything, but uh, for example, like this program does. So a lot of applications come with language resources that if you're in another country, it'll load them in. Do you see where I'm going with yeah, this discussion yeah, yeah. here? Yeah, and I that, do. It, yep. And I guess to me, the question is, and I hope the answer is no, but are resource, extraneous resources for languages and stuff you don't need, are they part of the code signing operation? And I I mean, it sounds like if this thing is doing what it's doing and the programs still run, especially under the latest OS, then the signing is just concerned with the program and not the resources. Yes, so it could work. But okay, so what I really want to ask about this, though, is let's forget about code signing. Uh, How do you feel about this thing? Not not going after third party apps or even Apple apps, but going after your OS itself, because that's part of what modeling will does is it goes in and and like wipes out all this, this stuff that's part of your OS. And yes, it's stuff that you ostensibly would never need to use, but. Do you need to use it? I don't know if you need to use it, but I think it. So say, for example, software update runs. Yes. Uh, 
or, or anything looks at a program and says, hey, are you this version of whatever application? And I'm going to base my decision on what's inside of you. Oh, look, this resource that you're supposed to have, although it may be one that's not used often, somebody removed it. Well, you're not legitimate. I guess that's the scenario that I'd be afraid of here is that whatever mechanism is used to update or, or scan the software all of a sudden decides that it's no good anymore because something has been removed. Right. Now I'm sure these guys who wrote this, you know, have thought, have, have examined this <laughs> many scenarios uh-huh. and, and I can only imagine that in some cases it, it will cause a problem, but yeah, it, it, I've, I've heard enough trouble from people, you know, over the last eight years since we've been doing this show that I've stayed away from it. Now, um, one of your, uh, cool stuff found things from Macworld Expo this year was uh, Mac Paws Clean My Mac 2. And that has in it one of these um, language cleaner things. So, so my question to you is, have you run that yet? Nope. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that's... I ran some of the others. It, it's a it's a pretty thorough, I think, cleanup utility. But no, I... I <laughs> I got to say my, my advice personally would be, I, I would not run these. I mean, if you, if you're that, yeah, you know, if you're that short on disk space, it, it's clever. I mean, I, I like the geek aspect and then it's like, okay, well you don't need this stuff and I'm smart enough to pull out all these languages that I know you don't speak or read. And it, it sounds like it makes sense, but, but it just could have un, unintended side effects is, is what I'd be nervous about. Yeah. Yeah. So if nothing else. We said it once. We said it 10 times. We said it a thousand times. Make a backup so you can go back <laughs> and restore what you just ruined. That's Please. that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I want to I want to segue into our first sponsor because it's crash plan and, and you're talking about backups, but I, I'm not going to yet, but we will. We'll, we'll get there. Um, what I want to ask you is actually more important than that. So you like um, and, and I didn't prep. John for this. So, so he's has no idea what I'm about to ask him. Um, but it, I, it, I, I want to see how you answer this question. Cause it's really important. Uh, I guess, I guess it's important. I mean, it's really not, but, uh, so you like clean my Mac too. You're still running that. Yes, I am too. But, uh, just curious if you are still, I haven't recently. Okay. All right. But do you still have it running on your, uh, on your laptop? It's still installed. Yeah. yeah. No, okay. I just haven't run it. Right. Right. So, okay. So you're okay with having it installed on your, on your laptop and, and in theory, you'll wind up using it. Um, I use it actually to keep my trash clean. It's actually kind of cool. So my question for you is on the surface to, to someone who doesn't know any better. And that's, uh, I'm going to play that role. uh, Mac clean. My Mac two does a lot of the same things that a software package called Mac keeper does. So I'm curious what your on the surface thoughts are about Mac keeper. The, the, the silence I installed it. I, uh, no, I installed it. I try. Uh, I really haven't used it. Um, okay. So yeah, we, I mean, I got- installed it. I saw a lot of the features. I uh, I guess the only thing is that they. My hesitation is they were not really a known quantity in the Mac space when I tried it. They're relatively new to the scene here. Okay. And I think these other guys have, have been around a bit longer. They've had a product out a bit longer. So when I read the history of it, so that, that's my off the cuff response here 
Yeah. So it's, I, I've been, I've followed Matt Keeper with some curiosity because they've been around now probably, what, three years? I mean, I have a fish shake for him. Please give me your fish shake because this is the point I want to get to. I'm, I'm curious shake, about this. Yeah. The fish shake about them is uh, honestly, um, they're advertising. I, I agree with you. I, I think they're advertising. I don't like horrible. pop unders and I don't like them putting ads like on speedtest.net where it looks like it's a feature of the site you're going to. Yep. That's just me personally. No, but, it's not. But, it, but the thing is, because I think it tarnishes the reputation because I, when you do things like pop unders and stuff, you, 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 you just, it, it again, it tarnishes your, your reputation I, with I a lot of people. I know I, that's my, okay. So this was the point I wanted to make is, um, most people, and I agree with you. I, I am a hundred percent on board and everybody in the chat room here. And I'll say hi to everybody in the chat room here at MacGeekab.com slash stream tonight. Uh, their, their marketing is horrible. I've told them this. I know, I know several of the people there quite well. Uh, and I've told them their marketing tarnishes their reputation. There are so many people that I know, uh, very well respected people, um, who speak out against Mac keeper that have never even considered installing the software. And that's just fascinating to me. Right. You know, because, and it's hundred percent therefore because of their marketing message. Um, so it's, uh, so it's, it's fascinating to me that here's the software package and I've run it. I don't run it currently. Um, but I've run it and have had no problems with it. I have some, uh, some of the people that work here at backbeat media run it and love it. Um, but, uh, but the, their marketing message, it seems to be the only reason I've ever heard of not to run their software. And that's fascinating to me. So I just, that's why I wanted to bring it up. It's just, it's interesting. You're, you're happy to run clean my Mac too. You're not happy to run Mac keeper. And it has at least on the surface, nothing to do with the features or the reliability of the software. True. Neither, neither program made anything worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. just fascinating feature- to me. Yeah. Feature for feature, again, other than the history, because I, I believe one company has been around uh, quite a bit longer and so has gained trust from people and is not engaged in questionable. Yeah, I don't activities. think I, I don't think MacPaw has been around as long as Zeobit. Um, oh, right. they might have. But at this point, I think they've both been around long enough. You, you know what I mean? That the software, if there were to be any any problems with the software that would have come out. Um, but uh, but it's just interesting to me. And, and, and everybody in the chat room is saying the same thing. It's, it's all about the, the marketing. So, yeah. So MacPaw.com was created in 2008. Uh, Zeobit was created in 2009. So it's, you know, yes, MacPaw has been around longer, but not that much longer. So especially not. And everybody in the thing is saying, yeah, don't, don't okay. support the spammer marketing. It's fascinating to me. Hey, this is what we do, right? At Backbeat Media. So we work with people for their advertising and it, we talk about a lot of success stories, but it's very interesting to, um, to to see the you know sort of the, the failure stories it's just it's fascinating anyway i didn't mean to to chew up a lot of time but, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's interesting but you know i i would say in this mode dave uh, some people say that as long as you get your name out there it's it's good advertising and i would say in this case it, it is not <laughs> not good no i agree i agree yeah and i would i you know that's the thing is you know they they actually um because we've we know them they've approached us about sponsoring the show and i said well we we couldn't i I, honestly what i told them was we couldn't do that unless and they aren't sponsoring this is not some weird you know backdoor ad or anything they've paid us nothing um but 
uh, I said, if the only way that we would take you as a sponsor is if the sponsorship addressed like the messaging in your sponsorship addressed the fact that your your previous advertising uh, was offensive to people so much so that they wouldn't even bother to try your product. And it had nothing to do with the merits of the software. So, so, you know, um, mm. and, and they appreciated my candor, I suppose they weren't into it, mm. which is fine. So, yeah. Well, you're, you're good at, good at that. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 So, so anyway, that's, um, all right. Now we got to settle down the chat. I think we got to get the, uh, I, we got to settle down the chat room. Oh, no, it's good. Kind of crazy. It's good. No, it, it's interesting to see the emotional reaction, but anyway, uh, let's move on to stuff that's actually helpful. Let's, let's, uh, let's jump to Douglas here, John. If you are, Ooh. if you are ready for Douglas. Well, I'm going to try and then I'm going to type in. All right. Hold on. I'll read the thing and then you, you'll, you'll be ready. Know, hold on. Right. Uh, there we go. go. Okay. Hi. This is from Douglas, by the way. Right. <laughs> I keep having my Mac mini crash during the day. I'm sending you a crash report to see if you can tell me if it is hardware related or software. I'm using two crucial SSD six gigabit per second drives inside the Mac that I stripe with Apple RAID zero. Nice. I'm just wondering if one of the drives is going offline and crashing on me. I love the show. Thanks for the help. No, oh, thank you. Um, I'm going to say on this, we have a couple of messages about this, and, and this is actually a fascinating subject, I think, because I've been doing this on both sides of the world here, both on the Windows side and all that. And so one thing that happens when operating systems or computers get upset is they will do what a lot of us call a crash report, which is before things go down in flames and your system either shuts down or restarts or whatever, sure. or you get the blue screen of death or the kernel panic, depending on your operating system, the system will often try to write something, usually to a file in a known location, saying, all right, well, here's what I saw as far as the state of the system before things went bad. Now, in this case, uh, what Douglas sent along was one of the crash reports. And a lot of times when your Mac crashes or you have a kernel panic, when it restarts, it'll say, hey, I got this report and uh, you want me to report it to Apple. And what you can do is you can highlight it. You can actually click in it. It's a text box and you can highlight the whole the select all and then paste it into text editor or whatever, uh, any sort of text document. And that's useful information. Now, in this one. And we're going to cover some of the keys here. So for Douglas here, what I saw in the report, and I think this is some of the most important information, is that you're going to look in the report, which usually is in, or at least on the latest OS, in library, logs, diagnostic reports. You're going to see these crash reports. You can click on them, and I think it opens it in the uh, uh, console app. Because um, you can access these from the console app, too. Sure. Uh, and what you'll see, two of the key things that I find usually help you figure out what is possibly the cause is a line of text somewhere in there saying last loaded KX. What is a KS? KX, you ask. And that's a kernel extension. It's basically a module that's loaded to deal with either hardware or software or do something useful. Um, it's pretty vague because it, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that talks to hardware. It can be a piece of software or something that links hardware to software. So, uh, and in this case, it said, all right, last loaded KEXT, com.apple.filesystem.afpfs, AFP being Apple File Protocol. Yeah, so that's a network file system is, is what F that particular one is, I think. Yeah. Right. 
an FS being file system. Now, the thing is, typically from what I've seen, Dave, when I've looked at these, the thing that says the last, uh, well, this is at least one sign of what's wrong. Now, the other one is the last unloaded KEXT. And in this case, it was com.apple.driver.appleusbuhci. And what, so at first I thought it had something to do with the interface to the drive. But then if you look at that, I believe that is actually the, uh, the HCI being human computer interface. And that's typically uh, your mouse or your keyboard, right? Right, a designation for a device that's used for human input, whether the keyboard, the mouse, the trackpad, whatever. So, so I don't a, think that was the cause. I think what 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 the most I can get out of this, Dave, is saying file system.afpfs is it's a problem with the drive. It could well, but that wouldn't <laughs> or be. drive corruption or raid corruption or something, but it sounds like file system level yeah, stuff is why this crashed, but go. Yeah, it might, I see. And I don't know what that text means. And and honestly, um, for the purposes of this discussion, I was kind of thinking we'd take it a level up it. Mm. It you know, it, so it could be his drive. It could be. I, I don't know what that text does. It, it could be related to the local drive or it could be a network drive because AFP is Apple file protocol, which is a network thing. So could be something over the network that's not quite right. Or it could actually have nothing to do with that text. But what. Uh, what's handy for sort of for everyone is in looking at this crash report, you know, it starts out with all this stuff and a panic and, and, you know, things that hex don't registers, hex, right. Yeah. Ignore all that unless you happen to, to, you know, be looking for something specific there. And then like John said, take a look at last loaded text and last unloaded text, because that's the most recent things that the kernel has done. And, Often, but not always, often can be the, the can point you to the, the the source of the problem, especially if you're having recurring problems and you notice, well, frankly, it would it would help either way. If you notice that the last loaded text was always the same when you had a problem, that would lead you to think, OK, maybe it is this. And if it's different each time, then, you know, OK, it has nothing to do with uh, the kernel and perhaps even nothing to do with software. Maybe there's a problem with hardware right but that that's sort of where i wanted to go with this is just you know mm -hmm. these crash reports are so uh unfortunately they're common when you're having a problem but they're also really not built for end users although there's information here that is valuable and it really is like you said john those texts the the loaded and unloaded like i said it just tells you where your system was at the moment that things cratered so I think another is typically the report will say thread whatever crashed. And then yes. you get a list of all the threads. Now, a thread is a thread's a thread, all right? You know what a thread is. No. I don't have to explain it to you. I'll, I know I know what a thread is, but I'll explain for you. Um, not for you, but for, <laughs> on your behalf, I'll explain. Um, it, uh, your, um, when software is written for computers today, they have, there's more than one processor. We all know this, right? And so uh, in order to take advantage of multiple processors, you want to be running things more than one thing at a time. And so software is written to run operations on different what's called threads. And the threads are then by the OS managed to go to different processors if there's a processor available. And that's why you can get the benefit. You can write software once and get the benefits out of it on a dual core machine or an eight core machine. Because as long as it's written to be multi-threaded, the OS can just hand this stuff up. So 
so you get to see which different threads were running and which one crashed. And that also can be helpful. And I think that's where you were going with it, John. Yes. Uh, that was pretty good. Thanks, man. And of all those trips can, to WWDC can, are helpful, you know. <laughs> well, of course, you can run multiple threads on a single processor. Right. And, that, and the what OS you pointed do out that is, too. Right. But what you pointed out, which is the cool thing about multiple cores or hyper-threading and all that, is you can take a process. And as long as it doesn't run a single thread, which, you know, if you're doing that these days for at least <laughs> Mac software or PC software... Um, you get shamed wrong. Yeah. Well, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. And you should systems. I would argue you may not have to do that, but that's a totally different world that totally different. You don't world. want to hear about right now. Not right now. So anyway, so that that's, that's, um, and it can be helpful because you can see what the thread was doing. And, and, you know, if you read it now that you know what these threads do, if you read it with that in mind, sometimes you can get a feel for, Oh, I see what this thread was doing. It was the one that was trying to say, save the file to disc. Right. And then you think, okay, well, where was it trying to save? Is there a permissions problem? Is there something else that, that can help you? It's, it's how it's what John and I do when we're starting to troubleshoot these things. So Let's jump to Richard because that's yet another one, um, sort of in this same vein, John. If you've uh, if you've yes. got that ready, yeah, okay. So terrible things happening, part two. <laughs> yes, <laughs> from Richard. Thank you, Richard. Hey guys, I'm not I'm not exactly sure why this keeps happening, but it started roughly a month ago when I finally updated to Mountain Lion. I keep getting the message: your computer was restarted because of a problem. And I have received it three times in the past week. Oh, that's terrible. I own an early 2011 MacBook Pro 15 inch. Okay. Not really sure what to do. I've only owned my first Mac for a little over a year. I'm not a, uh, let's see. He's, right, he's, he's, he's he needs a, our help. He's, yeah, he needs he's our not, help. He's not a geek yet. <laughs> he wants to be. And so he's looking for us to help him. So what he did here. Awesome. So number one here, um, Richard, thank you. He took screenshots of the screen that comes up and it typically says your computer was restarted because of a problem. This will be sent to Apple, blah, blah, blah. And then it says problem details and system configuration, which is basically the crash report we were talking about here. Now, in this case, this one was a little different to me, Dave, because it had a part of it that I, I touched on before, but we're going to go into a little more detail. Um, and let me find it in the snapshot here. Ah, okay. So another, no, it was similar to what we talked about before. So yep. one of these lines of text says kernel extensions in backtrace. So the message is a little different. Yep. Um, in this case, it said com.apple.driver, but Apple Intel CPU power management. Ooh. Now, <laughs> don't be scared. <laughs> but to me, if that's the kernel extension, now to me, that's the kernel extension that's kind of wrapping with the CPU and doing some power sort of thing. But I, I, so people may shake their fist at me, but I go. would say that th this could indicate a CPU power motherboard kind of hardware problem is, is the feel I get from this message because it's incorporating all these things, Intel, yep. CPU, power management, so that's my take on this, I, what this is saying, but I'm, I'm, I'm not the expert on reading these reports, but that, that, that's the direction I would lean. Go yeah. On. So to, I agree with you. And, and on the surface, that would mean hardware genius bar, right? Um, however, whenever there's the CPU and power management involved, 
you know, you get that feel that it's hardware, but this is the time when my, my, my spidey sense goes up and always says, remember sometimes it's not quite hardware, even though it feels like it. And that means long time listeners, you're screaming at your, your uh, iPhones now, SMC or PRAM reset, right? So if you reset power management or PRAM uh, in cases like that, when that sort of thing is causing you trouble, oftentimes it can fix it. And PRAM's easy command option PR as your computer is starting up and it will restart up again. You do it uh, right after the chime and then you'll get the chime again. Once, just once you don't have to do it three times. Old wives tale. Please don't do that. But if you have the time, Hey, sure. And you like the sound, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, do that. That, that sort of resets some uh, settings that are baked in, that are stored on the motherboard, sort of persistent, even when the power goes out. Uh, And then the SMC is sort of the power management and there's different ways to reset that on different Macs. So we'll put a, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes um, uh, to, to figure out how you you take a look at that and it'll tell you how to do it on your, on your specific Mac. I never remember how to do it on mine. I don't know about you, John, but uh, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. so, you know, there you go. Yep. Um, More. Uh, you want more? Are you ready for more? You know what? While we're here, we're in geek land. We're talking about the kernel. So uh, back in show 439, uh, we discussed the kernel task process, chewing up lots and lots of RAM and why that was or wasn't something to worry about. And I think the net was yeah, it's sort of how it goes these days. But uh, listener John wrote in and said, OK, you know, he was upset because his was uh, his kernel task when looking at activity monitor was over. Uh, a terabyte, I think, or just, sorry, not a, a terabyte. That would be insane. It was over. That's gig- my new drive, dude. I know it was over a gigabyte. See, Settle I confused, down. I confused listener John with, with, uh, with podcasting partner. In but you Crime, know, Dave, John. Yes. Dave, when we do Mac geek Gab 4,000. Yes. We will have a terabyte of Ram. That's right. Yes. All right. <laughs> right. Okay. So anyway, he, uh, but, but it, where I'm going with this is he had the same complaint, but, in helping him with his problem, John, you stumbled onto a very cool utility, and I want you to tell our listeners about that. I will. So you may ask yourself, how do I work this? How did I get here? I couldn't, I couldn't resist. So you may ask yourself, how do... So there's kernel task. Is there any way for me to see what is consuming all of this kernel task memory, which you can see via our pal iStat menus or activity monitor. And I think I found a way, Dave. I don't know where I stumbled across this. So, but it's a terminal command. And it's really cool when I looked at it because I think it does give you a window into what the heck is going on here. But it's a terminal command called kxstat. Hmm. That probably stands for kernel extension status. I'm going to wager on that one. Yeah, sure. But what it shows you, so, and I'm going to do it live on my podcast machine. That's always smart. It shows you, so, so, well, no, it's just reading things. I know. It's it's not changing it. Now, if it is some writing, but what this shows you are the kernel extensions that are loaded. 
But what it also shows you is the amount of memory. Now, right now in the default listing here, it shows wired and it shows a hex number. And if you can't read hex, I'm sure there's a way to issue the command so it can show you how much memory the kernel extension is consuming in regular numbers. But what it shows you is all of the kernel extensions and how much memory they take, which I, I, I think it's safe to say is probably part of this kernel task process, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, I think what that's right. Think? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. So you look at all these. Now, the thing is, when you look at this, so some of these you don't have any control over. It's um, a lot of them are com.apple.whatever. But my suggestion here is you look at this list and see if there's anything listed here that is something that maybe you're not using and you don't know that it's using a kernel extension. For example, I see one here, com.sophos.kx.sav. Oh. Well, that's the Sophos antivirus because a lot of now this is interesting, but I see a lot of other things, Dave, because a lot of software needs to get intimate with the hardware. And so a kernel extension is a way to do that. I see another one here, Dave, com.rogamoeba.hermesaudio. Huh. That's a kernel extension. Well, that's probably something that lets Audio Hijack Pro, right? And other. Uh, yeah. Sound hardware. So, yeah, because they got to kind of do something with the sound hardware. Uh, another one I see is Ambrosia Software Audio Support. So, so one thing to look at, though, when I was looking at this, John, is there's uh, seven or eight columns here. And you're looking, of course, in the name column, which makes sense. But the mm. uh, third column is size. And it's listed in uh, what's it listed in hex hex. Yeah. Uh, but 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 it doesn't matter because you can compare one to the other. It's a relative thing, right? It doesn't, you, you don't really care. Most what look it, to be the same. Well, not for me, for size, for me, they're all over the place. And I found one that's huge. Size and wired. Now you're seeing size and wired. Yeah. I'm just looking at the size column. Okay. Okay. And uh, although wired would tell you how much Ram they're, they're eating, but yes, it's the same. But if you compare them to each other, you can take a look and see which ones are chewing up more space. And if hmm. it's something you don't need, perhaps that's, you know, something to get rid of. Now, for me, one that's eating up a ton of space is my uh, um, my video driver. Now, uh, you know, it says com.apple.ati radio on X2000. <laughs> well, Can't really do away with that, can we? But um, but, you know, if you see well, something from a third party, then that might be something to to kill off. Or you could take our advice from show 439 and just live with it uh, because chances are you're probably going to have to anyway. It's not really you know, happy. So yeah, MLV in the chat room is asking if he can do away with com.apple.security.sandbox. Michael, I wish we all could. <laughs> um, but anyway, so it is just uh we'll put a link in the show notes, but um, f in case it wasn't clear the way John said it, it is K E X T S T A T is the, uh, is the command. So, and with that, now that we've finished listener, John, uh, I am going to talk about our uh, our first sponsor here, which is Crash Plan. And, uh, you know, Crash Plan is yet another piece of software that uh, that I, uh, is easy for me to talk about because I use it. John, I know you use it. Crash Plan is well, that's a lot of things, but it, it, it is an online backup. It is online backup software and a service. OK, and so you can uh, install the software on your Mac. Sign up for the service and we have a code for you that'll get you uh, 10% off. 
uh, and I, I believe that code at the moment, it doesn't exist at crashplan.com slash MGG, but I think it will by the time most of you hear this. Either way, I will put the link that that should redirect to in the show notes. It's sort of a weird thing that they did for us. They weren't going to have a 10% off, but then somebody there was like, oh, we can do this for you again. And, and so they did it. So it kind of happened last minute, but it is there for you. Um, this will. Uh, so th- you, you what you're paying for when you pay crash plan is an annual uh, service that allows you to upload your data uh, to their servers. Now, uh, the software takes care of how to do all that. And the software encrypts it locally before it even sends it. And then it sends it over a secure tunnel. So not only is your data secure while it's being sent, but it's actually stored on their servers with your encryption key. There is no way that they could get at that data uh, while it's on their servers, because even if you can, uh, it, it just shows up as a bunch of files that are totally gob- gobbledygook and completely unreadable without the security. So it's it's there. And I'll talk in a little bit why I know what it looks like. Uh, but uh, but very, very cool. And uh, and and it's uh, you can sign up for a crash plan, uh, different types of accounts. They have a family account that allows you to back up multiple computers. Uh, the nice part about crash plan is you can go in and pick which folders you want to back up or don't want to back up. And, uh, and then it scans through and sends it up. You can set a time of day when you want it to back up a, you know, a time window, or you can just let it go all the time. And, uh, and it works, you know, the nice part about online backup is it works whether you're home or on the road. You know, my crash plan kept backing up while I was uh, traveling this past week in Austin from my MacBook Air and no problem at all. And uh, it compresses the data. So it's it's really smart about, you know, making things uh, work as smoothly as possible. There's also a cool thing that you can do with crash plan uh, that uh, I'm setting up here. And and I think Pilot Pete and I are going to trade drives. I've seeded in addition to sending all my data up to crash plans uh, web, you know, web service. I also uh, you can you can make your own backups locally. And so I have I've made all my backups to all or backups from all of my computers to my to a Drobo that I have here. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give that Drobo to Pete, Pilot Pete. And then Pilot Pete's done the same thing. He's backing up all his computers locally at his house to a Drobo that he has. And he's going to give me that Drobo. And as soon as we attach those to crash plan here on our networks and we've tried this and it works. Uh, it automatically says, oh, okay, great. I know that this backup belongs to Pete's iMac and this backup belongs to Pete's MacBook Air. And now Pete's MacBook Air backs up to not only to crash plan in the cloud, but it backs up locally to my house, which means we both will have offsite backups, but they're only 10 minutes away. And that's sort of a big deal because, you know, getting your stuff back down from the cloud uh, can take some time, but it's there. So uh, this is one of the cool features of crash plan and why it may, why I it like is. that. So oh, if a meteor awesome. hits your house, Pete's house will probably still be there. So maybe, yeah, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> yeah. What I like, Dave, actually, what I liked about this is especially during the, uh, the power outage is a uh, crash plan. If it cannot do what you asked it to do, it will gently remind you via email. That's right. Because I got this during during the uh, hurricane and other disasters we had here when we had no power and no Internet. It said, hey, by the way, once I got back, it's like, yeah, I haven't seen this machine for a few days. And I think that's a great feature is that it tells you if, if you know, I mean, you can't necessarily visit all your computers 
every day. Right. It, it lets you know if something's something's up. I, I thought that was a great feature. It is. Yeah, it's great. And and they don't uh, uh, they don't support this, but it actually will run headless on my uh, Synology disk station. So that's actually what I've hung the Drobo off of here. And so not only am I backing up my computers to that, but uh, the disk station itself backs itself up to that. And then that will back it up to Pete's house when when my drive, uh, you know, heads back over there. So uh, very, very cool software. And uh, like I said, if you visit crashplan.com slash MGG or if that doesn't uh, get you'll see a little link there for 10 percent off. Um, And if you don't, then it means that you need to use the alternate link that I will. I promise will be in the show notes as soon as the show is live. So, um, and it gets you 10% off. So instead of crash plan plus unlimited being 72 bucks for a year, it's 60 bucks for a year. So very, very cool stuff. And we very much appreciate their support. And, uh, if you're looking for online backup, this is, uh, this is what we all use here. It's, it's the, it's a geeks paradise. There's a lot of tweaking you can do to it. It is written by geeks, but the UI, on the surface is really simple. And in fact, it automatically picks your home folder. So out of the box, you don't have to do anything, but, uh, but if you want to, you can go nuts and, uh, and tweak to your heart's little content. So that's crash plan. We love them. Crashplan.com slash MGG. Uh, while we're on the subject. So, so now we'll, we'll, uh, we'll trans- <laughs> I can take a breather, right? You can take a breather, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So while we're on the subject of crash plan, I mentioned that I had these um, this this Drobo, right? At, that I was going to put the stuff in, and and we're not really talking about crash plan anymore. So just just so you know, I, this is now a public service warning about certain types of hard drives, and has it, it it's only tangentially related really? to crash plan. Yeah. So um, and I'll explain why. So I have this Drobo, right? And um, I pumped a lot of data to it, right? Because that's what um, that's what you do when you back up. And I got a failure on one of my hard drives in it. And I checked Drobo support. You know, I, 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 with Drobo, it's weird. You don't get any information directly. You have to send the logs to Drobo support and then they'll tell you what's going on. And so it, did you get like a red light? I did. And okay. I took the drive out. And then I put the drive back in, but it wouldn't mount. And what happened uh, after I've talked to the Drobo folks, what happened was the drive had gone offline and then come back. And so the Drobo said, okay. And then it had gone offline again. And even though it came back after that, Drobo said, nope, I'm not going to rely on this drive anymore. This drive needs to be replaced. And it was a Seagate drive. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, see, I have to, I have to tell you, Seagate's awesome at uh, warranty repair or uh, warranty replacements. You go to their website, you put in your serial number and model model number. It knows your warranty status. As long as it's under warranty, they just ship you a new drive. You ship the old one back to them. It's, well, it, were it's you good. sure it was a drive problem? So, so the Drobo saw a drive go away, come back, go away, come back and said, mm-hmm. I think it's failing. Right? Correct. Okay. It could have been the Drobo. You're right. Um, in this case, I'm certain it was the drive and we'll, exp- exp- okay. you'll, you'll, cool. you'll, you'll be certain too when you, when you get there. So anyway, uh, the new drive came actually while I was away and I put it in and, and it mounted fine and things have been fine since then. However, while I was away, something happened and what happened was I, I told you crash plan is not supported on the Synology disk station. It works and it's great, but uh, it's not supported. And while I was away, something happened and the configuration files for crash plan there 
would only let it run with 512 megs of RAM, even though I'd bumped it up to use more because I knew I was going to have all these computers backing up to it while I was away. Right. And somehow it got reset because it's not a supported configuration. And because it got reset, my disk station was constantly re-indexing itself. When crash plan starts up, the first first thing it does is it says, okay, uh, I've got to go through and crash plan runs in the background, right? You, You know, it also has this front end that you can launch or not launch, but the backup part of it runs in the background. So this is running all the time on the disk station, like it would on your Mac or your windows machine, but I'm a big geek. So I've got it running on the NAS drive. And, uh, so it was constantly, uh, starting up scanning would hit its memory limit, limit, shut down, start up, scan, hit its memory limit. Right. So it never finished the scan. And so it was just constantly scanning. And this happened for a couple of days straight. And then on Friday, I start getting emails while I'm in Austin from my disk station, which is, you know, similar to a drobo, multiple drives in there saying uh, drive number four. It's a four drive unit. Drive number four went offline and came back. It's fine now, but I just wanted to let you know. Like, hmm, okay. And now I didn't know that it was going through this, this scouring process, right? Then I get an email an hour later, drive number three went offline and came back. Drive number two went offline. I got these emails and still get these emails <laughs> about drives two, three, and four. These are all Seagate three terabyte drives. Okay. All bought mm. pretty much at the same time. Um, the same one that was that the Drobo was a Seagate two terabyte drive, but, but all Seagate drives. I mean, these things all started to fail. And now I've got three more Seagate drives on the way uh, from from Seagate, you know, to replace these out. <sighs> so but here's the thing. These, Dude, that's statistically, uh, I, I know, Im, impossible unless that three drives could fail due to a hardware yep. cause all at once. That's that's in. Uh, I'm going to say it inconceivable. I'm with you, <laughs> but but it's not I don't think it's the mechanism. I think it's the the board is is because the software. Yeah, the, the determination used to 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 say drive bad is not picky enough it sounds like yeah yeah exactly but thank goodness my disk station doesn't automatically rule the drive out once it's done this twice because if it did i'd have three drives dead in my disk station and i'd never get at my data right now they're just going offline and coming back and i i fixed it of course when i realized what was going on once i got home and now it's finished its scouring and everything's fine. And, and I'll replace the drives one by one when they come back, as you're supposed to do. But uh, but, you know, the thing that, that scares me is these drives all have this problem and it would not have been the only reason it came to light is because they were starting to get a massive amount of use in the Drobo was getting right usage. And in the, the disk station, it was read usage. But otherwise, these drives were, were just sitting there and probably would have sat there for a long time. Uh, w- without any failure. And so it, it just, you know, um, I, I don't know how, I don't know what the lesson is here. I mean, I guess get your, you know, the lesson, if you really want to avoid this is get your drives and beat the heck out of them for, you know, four days straight and make sure they, they hold up. But there's something about these Seagate drives. It has to be some firmware glitch in these drives, because like you said, otherwise mm-hmm. statistically, I mean, it's crazy. And that's why I, when I started getting the emails, I'm like, what in the heck? I, you know, I leave for four days and it's like Armageddon over here. What's going on? How are all these things cratering? And then once I realized, once I got home and saw it, it was going through this recycling and recycling. That, okay. Well now at least it makes sense. It just, it, you know, it found the problem on these drives. So, 
These are Seagate. They're the green drives. I forget what the right term is for them, but that's no, I got the WD ones. Yeah. When you, when you told me what to get, I think you had gotten them in the past. Well, I, I have had no problems on my Drobo. I'm, I'm pretty, still pretty happy with the FS. I pretty much buy either Western digital or Seagate for my NAS drives. And it's whatever is cheaper at the time. Um, and at the time when you got yours, for whatever reason, Seagates were just through the roof and WDs were cheaper. So that's why I pointed you in that direction. But, um, but anyway, so I get three new ones coming in. Um, but, uh, you know, scary to think about. So anyway, I, now speaking of backup, I just want to throw this I in because nothing I else noticed to say this. It, so. Yeah, go ahead. So when the console, so when I got my new drive yep. in the mini Dave, the cool thing was Time Machine is even more transparent, I think, at least um, on Lion. So what happened is, so I ran Time Machine, and I'm like, let's see what happens. So I did a carbon copy cloner clone of my old uh, slow drive to the new drive, and then I ran Time Machine. And so some of the things in the console were very interesting. So it said, starting backup, attempting to mount network drive, quick only check file system clean. I'm like, oh, really? Then it's like, Oh, inherited root volume, Macintosh HD, UUID, blah, 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 blah. Event stores don't match. Deep event scan. But the thing that got me is that I think the line here that's critical, David, said inherited root volume. And that backup D knew, okay, you have the same name, but your unique identifier, which is UUID, is different. But okay, I'll start with you. Cool. And then in the past, Time Machine has been either stupid in that it's like, oh, well, even though you're on a new hard drive, uh, I'm going to replace everything on the target. It's like, what? (laughs) So in this case, it basically said, I recognize the fact that you're very similar to who I used to talk to. So we'll, we'll give it a shot. And it didn't back up the entire hard drive. So. I thought that was cool. So if any reason to look at, uh, especially during system migrations like I did here, Mm. which is copying one drive to another, looking at the console is kind of fun because in this case, you showed me Time Machine has gotten smarter. And that in the past, I think it actually would come up and say, hey, you know, you guys look the same. Uh, You want to keep using this drive for this? And it's like, yeah, okay. Yep. So. Yep. So. Drives, drives, and more drives, drives. Yeah, I get, you know, as you were saying that, I guess the the thing that um, made me not totally freak out, because I have stuff on my disk station. I mean, I've got a ton <laughs> of data on there that, uh, like, all our movie archives and everything are on there. And at first I was like, oh, no, I'm going to lose, a, you know, a terabyte of data. And I thought, oh, no, good news. I've got it on the Drobo that, in theory, you know, the bad drive has already been pulled from. And everything over there is okay. So I thought, well, okay, at least I won't lose that, you know. So, uh, so crash plan to the rescue, you know, it was, it it was doing what it was supposed to do, giving me peace of mind so I could go out and enjoy, uh, I think it was the Green Day concert that night. So, and they were fantastic, by the way. And I had to weasel my way in, but I, you know, it's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) We've all gotten good at that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I don't know. Let's see. Oh, what do we, what else do we have? Um, I've been running the show. Well, you have, but I, 
Yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. No, it's important though that we that we keep going here because we have we have to do at least two more in order and and hope. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see if you figure out why and or somebody in the chat room figures out why. So uh, we did the we did the question before uh, before crash plan about the kernel test thing from listener John. So we took care of that. Okay. Next one that we have to do uh, is this one. I've got it here from. Uh, uh, let's see. Hang on. This is from Paul. Okay. So Paul's question is, hello, chaps. I am just about to take delivery of a new Mac and I'm toying with setting it up so that my main user account runs as a non-admin account. Over the years, I've often thought about doing this for security reasons, but I never have. I use Dropbox and iCloud for syncing uh, contacts and calendar, but not documents. I get most of my apps via the Mac App Store. And for work, I use Office and Adobe Creative Cloud. I thought I'd ask you what you thought of the idea and if you thought I might run into particular difficulties or frustrations running as a non-admin user. Okay, Paul, so this is a good question, but uh, and a lot of people ask this and a lot of people want to run this way because on the surface, it seems like this is the right thing to do. You want to there's no if there's no reason to be running it as an administrator, then it makes sense that you don't want to be. It limits your opportunity well to screw things up. Right. So, um, but the important thing to remember going into this is that this is not how Apple does it by default, right? When you out of the box, get your Mac gives you the startup stuff, you know, walks you through creating a user account, what's your name, what's your password, all that stuff. Once you're done, you have created an admin user, whether you know it or not. And, because of that. And I just did this on my new right. iMac. And, you know, I'm almost positive. I don't think it gave me a choice. It's mm-hmm. like, hi, you're the, this is your new computer. What's yes. your name? What's your password? Let's go through iCloud. Let's do this. And here you go. And, it, it, yeah, it's not clear that you have this awesome, well, almost awesome power. That's not right. Not quite root, but, but close enough. Yeah, it's close <laughs> enough. Right. And and so, you know, um. In theory, what you're going to do is going to be fine. It, there will be times when you're installing apps that it will come up with a dialogue saying you have to authenticate as an administrator. And the difference that will that will you'll see there is if you were logged in as an administrator, it's just going to ask you for your password. If you're not logged in as an administrator, it's going to ask you for a username and password. And you have to type in a different username and password, and it needs to be one that is the admin account. So you have to have at least one admin account on the machine. I think that was probably obvious, but, well, you know, maybe not. So, But to me, the theory there is there's somebody, whether it be a teacher, system administrator, yeah. sysadmin, or parent, yeah. who you have to go to and beg well, but even, even if it's just in all worlds, <laughs> even if it's just your machine, you may want to have, you know, John admin and John user account. Right. So it, and that's no. what Paul's talking no. about here. No, is, I don't want that. Well, no, but that's what Paul wants, John. That's what oh, I'm saying. Well, it, that's well, what I'm, Paul's looking to do. It's not. Well, I want what Paul wants. OK, so it's not that he needs multiple people involved. It's that he just doesn't want to run as admin all the time. And I know a lot of people do this, but. Yes, you will run into quirky things, especially with third party apps, because they expect that people are running as default. They shouldn't necessarily do this, but it's understandable why. So if you are willing to accept that you're going to probably spend a little more time on maintenance and some wonky troubleshooting. I know there was some issues with Adobe's creative suite in the past running as a non admin user um, because of permissions. 
I don't know if that still exists, but, you know, certainly, you know, that type of thing can happen uh, where things just don't run or, you know, parts of the software don't work right. And it can be that you're just not an admin user. So, um, so is it advisable? Well, it, it, it is if you understand <laughs> that you're, you're, you are adding that potential headache at the worst time. And, uh, you know, that's how it goes. So uh, take your chances. Take your, cha- take your chances. <laughs> All right. So that's that one. I'm with you though, because actually in most scenarios, even on the windows side, when I create software installers, I assume that the recipient has uh, awesome admin powers. Right. Right. You're right. You know, there's a big tension because number one, Apple makes you godlike when you haven't asked for this power, but they're like, yeah, you're the first user. You're the admin. You, you, you're pretty much running the show here, dude. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So there should, and what we all do. That's right. Day after day. Yep. All right. All right. So now we have uh, a question from, uh, we did that one. Okay. So from George, Who? Uh, from George, he says, uh, hi, John and Dave. This is George from Massachusetts. I have a weird experience with pages. And I wonder if you guys or any of your listeners have had the same experience. Uh, says my wife has edited a newsletter using pages for about a year for each issue. She makes a copy of the previous issue and then edits the copy to produce the new version. I started noticing that the pages files kept getting bigger and bigger each time. The newsletters tend to contain a lot of images. And at first I thought my wife was just putting in more images, but that turned out not to be the case. I took a copy of her latest version and deleted all the images just to see how small the file would be. To my surprise, it was still over 30 megabytes. I decided to look inside the pages file package to see what was taking up the space. Tried to open the file as a package uh, and then realized it was a zip package. And so I was able to unzip it and get in. When I did that, much to my surprise, I found files containing images that had been in the previous versions of her newsletter. But she had deleted when moving from one version to the next. And of course, the images took up a lot of space. I deleted those files and compressed the folder back into a zip file and then changed the extension back to dot pages. All of that worked. The resulting file was a reasonable size, much smaller that could be opened with pages. Pages complained that there was missing information, uh, but the file opened and then could be edited as normal. I bring this up because if any listeners have pages files that seem to be much larger than they should be, this may be the reason. So George asked, you know, is there a way to fix this? And there's nothing perfect. Um, honestly, his solution is, is, you know, certainly the most thorough, but there is, we used to see this in, um, in Microsoft office. If you did a quick save or fast save, I guess, versus a regular save, it would fast save would just save changes, but it would be this incremental thing and would leave things behind. Whereas a regular save took a little longer, but it, you know, sort of cleaned out things. Um, Pages has a, an option in there that will help with this, but won't do it all. If you go to the file menu and choose reduce file size, that will clean out some of this. Um, it won't, but it, but it's not perfect. I, I did some testing with it and it, it certainly helps and, and cleans out some of it, but doesn't do it all. So very interesting problem, George. And, uh, and so I share this as a, as a public service announcement, but also just, you know, perhaps this reduced file size thing will help people too. Interesting though, that, that there's no way to, to really clean that out. Don't you think, John? It's because I of thought the- it was hilarious because I just tried to run it on my mini 
Dave. Yes. And it said, you can't open the application pages because PowerPC's oh. applications are no longer supported. I guess I have to upgrade. I think it's time to upgrade, John. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So did you. Surprise that. You didn't get the, uh, the, the, the trail that I was trying to, to pave here, did you? Because we, we started out with questions from Mike or from Matt and Macklin and Douglas and Richard. And then the next three were. You have the agenda, so you can you don't even have to remember. You can look. Mm-hmm. So who were the next yes. three questions after Douglas, Richard? Then what do we go to? Yeah, hold on. <laughs> he'll get there, folks, and he'll get there for you. This is John's doing this on your behalf. So you've got the agenda, right? Yeah. Okay. Where are you? Well, look before the sponsor, right? Who, who did mm-hmm. we do? John. And then? Paul. And then? George. Are you with me? And then, uh, hey! Yeah. But there's right. no Ringo. We don't have Ringo today. Where's Ringo? I just thought it was interesting. Yes. Uh, yes, you did. Yes, All right, I hold did. On. All right. Uh, but we don't have Ringo. So we will go to uh, Anthony, because that's an interesting one. We've got time for a couple more, I suppose. Oh, we could do Pete. Michael in the chat room said we says we should do Pete instead, but I don't think we have any questions from Pete. But uh, but what? that's really funny. Well, Pete Why Best. Why am I not? Oh, come on. Here we go. Pilot Pete Finally. is the best. That's true. All right. Is this the high chaps? I don't know. I don't have it up. Should I have it up? I thought you were going to read it. Well, no, it's not high. It's, oh, yeah, it's high chaps. Yeah, go ahead. Wonderful. Okay. I have a MacBook Air 13 inch late 2010 10.8.2. Thank you. I know that Safe's safe, and I'm going to translate here um, safe mode. I know safe mode clears all sorts of caches, and to activate safe mode, the procedure is to start and keep shift pressed. However, the MacBook Air is so fast. Remember, it's an SSD that it's impossible to catch the right point to invoke safe safe mode. I've looked within Apple, can't find any support docs. I've tried several times before gray screen, after gray screen, before logo, after logo, before chime, after chime. But I can't make it do safe mode. Help. <laughs> the only advice I could offer here, Dave, so I've actually had this problem with my Dell machine, and Windows has a similar thing called safe boot or safe mode or whatever. And even though my machine said hold down F8 when you are doing this or that, I could never get it to hold. But fortunately, on both systems, or at least I found on, on the Microsoft system, so on, on the Microsoft system, if you go to the terminal or the command line, very similar, and you do msconfig, you can say boot in safe mode, which is the Windows version. Well, how can you do this on the Mac, Dave? You may be guessing. Can, can you do this a, on the Mac? Well, you know, you may you may wonder if there is a support article that talks about this, and there is. It's HT1455, Mac OS X, starting up in safe mode. So it goes into how to normally do it, which is shut your Mac down, press the power button, after you hear the startup tone, and this is the key here, and I guess a lot of times it depends on how fast your machine is, but after you hear the startup tone, hold the shift key. The shift key should be held as soon as possible after the startup tone. Ow. <laughs> but not before. 
And then when you see the Apple icon and the progress indicator, you're cool. However, this article also has a way to do this similar to Windows, because we all know that Apple copied Windows anyways, right? Of course they did. Come on, you know they did. So anyways, you open a terminal session and you go to the command line, you say sudo nvram, I think it's boot-args equals quote, or double quote dash x, double quote. And that is a way to force the machine the next time it boots up to boot into safe mode. Oh, that's I never knew this. I didn't. E- well, I didn't either. But 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 similar, Dave. I did a bit of Google Foo, and when I was having this, you know, head desk moment here, where it's like, why can't I figure out how to hit F eight at the right time to get my Windows machine to do what I want? Same thing here. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe it was successful in the feedback. So um. <sighs> Yeah, you know, that's kind of annoying just in general that some computers require a certain key, uh, magic key press to do certain things. Well, you need that. That's I the mean, it's only way, but yeah. it's the only way to accomplish it. I yeah. like this having a backup where the operating system itself, you can say, okay, pretend that somebody pressed this. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And you could probably write a little, you know, if, if for whatever reason you needed to do this regularly, you could write a little Apple script that issues that command and then restarts, sure. right? So that, you know, you don't have to remember the thing and you could just do that. So that's, that's, uh, that's good stuff. Cool. All right. Thanks, John. Uh, all right. So that was Anthony. Let's, uh, I'm going to steal one of your questions because I know the answer. Um, and you didn't. So I will take, um, Alan's question here. Really? Yeah. This is a weird thing. So this is very similar to what, uh, Guy Searle from the, my Mac podcast, uh, and I went through when he we were trying to, he was, I was helping him with podcast uh, setup and stuff. And, and so he did it, wanted to do a screen share with me. And for the life of us, we couldn't do it inside the messages app, even though it's great. It's, it's in there. It's just great. Yeah, what's up? So uh, Alan has a similar question. He says in Apple's Apple mails message menu, or at least in my copy, there is a menu item reading reply with messages. It is consistently grayed out. I've tried selecting multiple messages, different people, messages with attachments. It remains grayed out. Do you see this? Do you know what it does? Do you know how to use it? And uh, and John, you noted that um, in mail, you've gone to preferences, viewing, show online buddy status, and that doesn't work either. And that's actually what triggered my thought to, oh, I know the answer. Excellent. Yeah. So you'll see that, you know, and messages is iMessage, right? So these people are online and you can tap, type back and forth and it's no problem at all. But that is not what they're talking about here. And it's totally unclear. And Apple should be, uh, well, they should be, we should shake our fists in anger. So that's what we will do. Um, this is I'm not shaking. good. Me too. This is not about iMessage. The only way that this works is you have to be logged into an AIM account. And as soon as you are, then the little green lights will show up uh, in, in your example, John, for the show online buddy status for other people that are logged into their AIM accounts, their AOL instant messenger accounts. But it has nothing to do with the uh, iMessage status, even if you're both on iMessage on computers as opposed to your phone or whatever. It doesn't matter. And that's also how you do screen sharing. You have to both be logged into AIM. Uh, inside the messages app and then all these menu options light up and you can use them and it works great. So that's it's foobar 
if you ask me. But uh, it's crazy. Yeah. So we both have to be logged into AIM? Correct. Correct. <sighs> in order for that to work. Yeah. I know. Not I know. Skype or any other. Well, Skype is I, Skype's uh, not inside uh, the messages app. I presume if you uh, added uh, another uh, service inside messages, right? Because they're. Um, let me launch messages here because I know you can add. I, does ICQ even exist anymore? Right. Um, <laughs> I, right. You, you know, but you used to be able to log into AIM as your ICQ. So actually, that's probably the same. Um, why won't this launch here? What? Uh, hello, messages. Oh, boy. It's not a good idea to start doing this when you're recording a podcast. Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wants me to set up iMessage. Oh, boy. This is not going to be good. Okay. So I'm signing in. Step back. Here. Yeah, no, step I'm not. I'm, I don't step back anymore. This is, we're, we're going whole hog. So now I've added this machine to iMessage. I'm going to get all kinds of notes on my iPhone and iPad. Uh, but if I go into the messages app and go to preferences, uh, and I go to accounts, you can still hear me, right, John? Yes, sir. Okay, good. Uh, here's where you can add accounts. So you can add a Google talk account. Uh, you can, let's say you can add Google talk, Yahoo, Jabber and aim. So, um, great choice. And you've got to add it. Certainly it works with aim. It may work with bonjour, uh, but it does not work with iMessage. That's for certain. I mean, you can iMessage people. That part works. But it, in terms of the, uh, the, the, you know, screen sharing or reply with message or anything like that, it has to be uh, something other than iCloud, which is nuts. But, you know, that's how it is. So that's why uh, that's why we're here to to share that that sort of uh, valuable information with mm. uh with all of you it's what we do and with that and with that the poor band is getting snowed on uh yeah i don't know hang on look out the window you enjoy the music for a second i'm gonna see if it's snowing here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no not yet my kids are well they're they're probably asleep, but uh almost asleep but uh they, they're praying uh, or yeah they're hoping or well they, they sort do. of are you know we have five days baked into the school schedule um mm. And so we've already burned up those five. So if, if we have a day, a, a snow day tomorrow, we will uh, go at least, you know, that'll add a day to the end of the, uh, of the school. Calendar. And that is the worst thing in the world. Actually, last year was pretty awesome because we only used like <laughs> two and a half of our five days. So we actually got to right. shorten the school year, which was cool. But I was trying to hint at the excess drama that all teens and kids seem to have yeah oh i have to go to school for another three days i gotta uh, tell you though last year was awesome and we had a 10 week long summer here with the kids mm -hmm. which was i mean that's yeah. pretty freaking awesome yeah yeah i gotta come up and visit man I, I know that? yeah yeah you do we gotta I'll get you my up junker here. up there maybe it'll die but <laughs> you could um i was gonna say you could you could take the plane from Westchester, but that's sort of crazy because that's... Oh, it's a downeaster. Take like the train. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. The train's the way to go. Yeah, totally. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah, and then we'll do like a little meetup in Boston on your way... On your, either your way up or your way back. I think we should definitely yeah. do something like that. Cool. All right. All right. Uh, what are we talking about here? Well, we're, we're leaving, but we don't want to leave you without some way of getting in touch with us. And that's right. Feedback. Well, we, we talked... At MacGeekGab.com is the email address to use. Yes, and before Dave so rudely stepped on me, I was going to say you should 
send an email to feedback at MacGeekGap.com. John, I did interrupt you as you were trying to say feedback at MacGeekGap.com. We did also talk about Twitter earlier, so now I will uh, mention that you can also find us on app.net. And it's the same username as Twitter. Totally different service. Uh. Um, But uh, but you can find us there. I'm Dave Hamilton. He's John F. Braun. The show is MacGeekGab. And uh, if you want an app.net account, follow us. Actually, follow us on Twitter. Follow Matt Geekab on Twitter. And now that I'm back from South by Southwest, I'll start doing some more uh, free freebies <laughs> during the day. So just follow us there. AppNet looks to be as active as G+. <laughs> oh, I actually... It, so it depends That's all on, I'm going to say. It depends on like who you interact one. with. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, sure. But I... I really like I'm, app.net. I'm Twitter, man. I'm, yeah, it's kind of... I, yeah. I like that I can have longer conversations with people. It's 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 yeah, uh, but then it gets away from the what I think is one of the Twitter draws is you know it's kind of short and sweet. Right. Well, that's it's a different. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear you babble. You know, uh, one forty is enough for me. Yeah. There okay. you go. Well, it's not. Yeah. Okay. But that's not the point. So anyway, that's well, well, to me. It's the point. Facebook.com slash Mac Geek Cab is uh, yet another place to find us. And we post our show in addition to posting the show notes and the, the when the episodes come out and all of that good stuff. We also post uh, events for the live stream. I believe next week's live stream is going to be uh, meeting here about 945 a.m. on Sunday morning. If Whoa. Ah. Yeah. If memory serves. So. All right. Mix you got a phone? A you got a phone? Pick I it do. Up. Yeah. And dial... 206-666-GEEK Which is 4335 And uh, Boy howdy I think that's uh, I think that's gonna do it Boy howdy You've been in Texas lately I haven't have you, been son? in Texas Yeah uh, We'd like to thank Michael Johnston From the We Have Communi- Communicators Podcast And also GetAppler.com For converting the show Into AAC For us and for you Cashfly C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y Dot com Provides all the bandwidth Podcast Marketplace includes BB Edit from Barebone Software, Text Expander from Smile, Gazelle, Squarespace, and Crash Plan, all through Backbeat Media. Thanks so much for spending the last hour and change with us. We look forward to hearing from you, and we look forward to seeing you again. John, I have some advice to share, and it's important after I've been traveling all this time. I hear you, brother. You're going to hear me, because I'm going to tell you, don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.